I'm sure they thought, here's this outsider coming in thinking he can change us. Paul Campbell came to Seminole, Oklahoma to run an aerospace company. Then he proposed opening a charter school. It would be one of the first rural charters in the state. But the local school board fought back. You know, a businessman who doesn't even live here thinking he knows what's better for our kids. Campbell got his school, but it left some people in Oklahoma wondering, what happens when you drop a charter school into a small town? What does it do to the local public schools? And is it okay for a businessman to start his own school? My agenda is really clear. I want to help rural kids. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with the Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. Today we're going to Seminole, Oklahoma. It's a town of about 7,300 people, an hour outside of Oklahoma City. And the town made headlines in Oklahoma when a new charter high school was opened there this fall. It's now one of just three rural charter schools in the state. Divisions rose between the businessman who dreamed up the new school and the local school board who felt he was threatening public education in the town. Caroline Preston, an editor at the Heckinger Report, went to Seminole. It's a former oil boom town. There was a big gusher discovered in the mid-1920s that caused the population to explode, and its kind of heyday was quite a long time ago. The oil boom in central Oklahoma in the 1920s had a profound effect on the towns around the Seminole oil field. There were more jobs than people, and once sleepy main streets were suddenly very crowded. I was really interested in the story of a charter school trying to get up and running by somebody who was an outsider, a, a businessman who was originally from Kentucky but had been living in Los Angeles, and he was hired to lead this aerospace manufacturer, which is just outside of town in Seminole, and it employs about 200 people. And he was really frustrated with the local school system and got the idea of starting a charter, did some research on rural charters, and despite a lot of local opposition and the school board locally twice denying the charter's application, he went over them and went to the state, and the state approved this charter. Welcome back to our visit with Paul Campbell, the president and CEO of EnviroSystems. You have taken on an ambitious project Mm -hmm. of starting a charter school. Mm-hmm. So talk, tell our audience a little bit about how did you get involved in that, and let's, let's walk through that. Yeah, some, some people ask me if I lost a bet. Uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily true. Uh, and I started my own not-for-profit called Advanced Rural Education, and our intent is to really raise the bar and raise expectations uh, by helping out traditional public schools, so we, we got some projects there, and then starting our own where appropriate. It was kind of an interesting intersection of a bunch of questions in addition to sort of from a storytelling perspective having some interesting characters in tension there was um, kind of looking at preparing kids for jobs of the future and how do you do that and also whether charters can be helpful or harmful in smaller communities. And what was it about the uh, public high school that was particularly concerning? It's This is really around the public high school was the issue wasn't it? Correct. Paul Campbell had reservations even before he moved there about the schools. The average ACT in this county is an 18 and a half. 
and we were coming from a public school system in California where the average ACT was in the high 20s. But one thing that really kind of touched a nerve for him or stuck with him was he was trying to recruit people to join this company and somebody he'd worked with a long time ago and felt like was kind of in the bag for this job turned him down because she said that she couldn't send her son to the school. I mean, everything was lined up. I just thought this was assumed she was going to work for us. And she calls me and I said, you know, I heard you haven't accepted yet. What's going on? And she says, I'm not going to accept. And she said, Paul, I'm not going to spend two hours in a car because the nearest school that I can even accept is an hour away. I can't put him in that school. So Mr. Campbell started to think of these schools essentially like as a business risk for him. Um, and also he arrived at a time when the, the high school building itself, an engineer's report had declared it structurally unsound. So Seminole High School right now is located in a former grocery store that was then a call center, and it's not the best location. And the town was trying to pass a bond issue to build a new high school and was having trouble kind of coming to agreement on that. So this was sort of an opportunity. Well, from his perspective, that was sort of a sign of disarray in the community um, and with the school, that the conditions there weren't great, um, but also kind of an opportunity for him. What did the school board say in response to his criticisms? You know, I think a lot of it seemed very personal because he was talking about the ACT scores, but also teacher quality and things like that. So... They were really frustrated and angry. I think our local educators and administrators know what's best for the education of our kids. They didn't have anyone at that time who had had any experience in a school district knowing what the requirements of, of graduation were, knowing what a transcript looked like, knowing how credits are earned. That's not in the best interest of kids. You can't have kids flying by the seat of their pants every day and say that's what's best for them. I was concerned that the charter school was basically a private school in sheep's clothing. I was apprehensive about the funding that was going to be taken from the Seminole Public Schools coffers. And Oklahoma, obviously, is a state that does not invest heavily in education. Teachers and administrators are under a lot of pressure. So it felt really personal, and they had an array of, array of concerns. So the state board of education essentially went over the heads of the local school board in, in approving the charter school, as I understand it. Why did they do that? So the state board of education, people will say that it's very voucher friendly. It's very charter friendly. So it was more receptive to the idea of opening a charter. Obviously, those individuals do not have as much of a stake. They don't have kids in the school system. I think people in Seminole will say we're kind of the experiment. They don't have skin in the game, the State Board of Education, that is. So it'll be interesting to see whether the State Board continues to go down that road. I mean, now the State Board has to administer this charter school. Otherwise, if the Seminole School District had approved it, it would have been part of the district. The school board would have been the authority there. So that's more work for the state. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether they keep approving charter, rural charters or give the three that they've already approved a little bit of time to see how well they work out. Did many people you talked with, especially the parents, actually know what a, much about what a charter was before Mr. Campbell proposed this? No, they didn't. There was definitely... 
less familiarity I found with sort of the idea of charter schools than in a place like New York, for example, where we're kind of saturated by them. And Mr. Campbell himself even says that he didn't really have much of an opinion on charters or even maybe had a little bit of a negative one before he went down this path. But yes, there wasn't a lot of knowledge about that model. How is the Academy of Seminole Charter High School different than the public high school? What are they doing that the public high school isn't doing? The thesis behind the school, according to Mr. Campbell, is that sort of on day one, hour one, you're starting to think about what you might want to do with your life, investigating careers. There's a lot more job shadowing opportunity. There's a lot more business networking and mentoring opportunities. Um, Every Friday, there are these talks where you get to hear from somebody about their career path. And it's also the school is located on the Seminole State College, the local two-year college. So kids have the opportunity to earn dual credit classes with the college, which is something you can do at the Seminole High School as well. But they're really pushing this at the Academy of Seminole, the thinking being that you could even earn your associate degree before you get out of high school. So down the road, potentially that could save you some money as you continue on in higher education. This is the school's first year, and it's limited to ninth and 10th grade at this point. How many kids from Seminole are actually enrolled? They're just about 30. And that includes um, kids not just from the city, but from outside, too. So the, they wanted to keep it relatively small, but the initial expectations were 60, up to 60 in the first year, and then by year five, up to 700. So it's well below that. I think there's a real question about year two, if kids are going to come and will it grow. One of the complaints about charter schools is that they tend to siphon off some of the better performing students uh, who would otherwise be in the public school. Is there any evidence that that's happening here in Seminole? I mean, that was certainly a big concern, um, not just around top performing students, but around students whose parents had means because you have to actually apply and go through the lottery system. And then your parents actually have to drive you, which is a something that's not available to a number of kids there. So, I mean, the free and reduced price lunch numbers are about 40% for the charter school, which seems high, but it's a lot lower than what they are in the Seminole City District schools, which are, I think it was above 70%. There isn't transportation, although the school's so small at this point that it can help out um, if a kid needs a ride and, and things like that. But as it expands, it will be a test to see if kids from different backgrounds do attend. What did the parents who sent their children to the school, to the charter school, say about either why they were doing it, what what they thought was missing in the public school? A variety of things. I think sometimes they just wanted something different. Maybe their kid had had issues with cliques or things like that. Yes, I'm Lisa Owens. I born and raised right here in Seminole. Daily Ann is 16, and she's our daughter. And she started begging me to homeschool. And I was, I, so I sat her down on the couch. I said, listen, I know you love school. What's going on? She started crying. She said, there's a bully. Or if they went to a smaller school outside of the Seminole District, they just weren't happy with the quality of education. Barbara Adams. Uh, my son is a freshman here. He's Hunter Matthews. And I am also the secretary of the board of the charter school. So Hunter is ADHD. Since he was in pre-K, we've always, he's always kind of had special needs as far as like behavior. We know he's highly intelligent. It's just the school really couldn't accommodate his needs because of how um, overcrowded the classrooms are. There was some concern that the Seminole High School is really football focused. I heard that from some people. And also 
uh, Oklahoma has some of the loosest homeschooling laws in the country. So a bunch of people I met had actually been homeschooling before. And this was kind of still a, a pretty small environment, they felt, like where they would get a, a lot of teacher attention and individualized attention. But it was different from being homeschooled. Now, opponents argue that, in general, charters drain money from public schools because each kid in the state receives funding, and when they leave, their funding leaves with them. Uh, Is this even more of an issue in rural areas where there are so few students to begin with? Yes. I think that was a big concern of of people who oppose the charter. In Oklahoma, according to the superintendent of Seminole School District, that school would lose between 3600 and 9000 per student of state dollars as that money followed students elsewhere. So right now, there are not enough students coming from the Seminole School District for it ha- to have that much of an impact financially, but it certainly could. It's easy to see how if dozens or hundreds of kids left the Seminole School District, which only has 1,700 students around that to begin with, this could have a, an impact. Does the charter school get money from other sources? It got some startup money. It got a federal grant, startup charter money from the federal government of 600000 It got a grant, over 300000 from the Walton Family Foundation. Mr. Campbell's company is also providing some money. But I think it'll also be a question as to whether once that startup money goes away, tapping into sort of the next fund of money available for charters when they're in their second phase of life, whether that will come to fruition for the school. Among the teachers and parents who are at the charter, did they tend to believe that it was a, a good alternative to the to the, what you've described as the pretty underfunded schools in the state? I mean, especially given that the legislature keeps cutting state funding to public education. Yes. I mean, Oklahoma has some of the lowest per pupil spending in the country, Teachers walked out last spring over concerns not just about their own pay, but about money going into the classroom and resources for students. And they had a small victory there, but there's still a lot of funding concerns and a lot of discouragement around that. You all are both teachers here? Yes. And tell me your names. Charity Hobbs. And Sherry Bray. And how do the pay and benefits here compare to what you were getting before? I am making 7% more here, and they're paying all of my insurance, and I'm working 14 less days. Paul Campbell, the businessman, uh, has this company, Enviro. Uh, three of the five board members of the charter are employees of that company. Is there an issue there? Do you, does it seem like part of the plan here is to groom and train future employees for the company? That was certainly a big concern of people who oppose the charter from the onset, there was initial language in the first application where it talked about students spending 40 to 50 percent of their day in industry environments. And one former board member I talked to worried that students would be a sort of free pool of labor for Enviro systems. The supporters of the charter say that's silly because a kid who is a high schooler isn't going to be able to do the sort of work that uh, an an engineer does, for example. And it seems like the school is still really working out what its job shadowing and career path opportunities are going to be like. But they feel like it's an unfair critique to say that they are um, exploiting students in that way. And, And so far, I didn't come across evidence of that. 
And how many other opportunities for business and industry are there in Seminole? I mean, is Enviro, you know, one of the only things in town? I mean, there are a few other things in town, and some other manufacturers wrote letters talking about the charter school creating opportunities. But oil and gas is one of the few things there, and obviously that um, you know those those gushers that we we talked about earlier kind of dried up like over a half century ago. So um, it, it's still I think the the biggest industry, but there's not a lot of opportunity in terms of jobs and careers. And some of these kids, depending on what careers they go into, are going to have to move. So it, it's definitely a place that is trying to, to find its footing. How common is this uh, charter school phenomenon in rural places, especially uh, places that, you know, have limited sort of economic, limited economic base? Is this is it is it becoming more common for private corporations or private individuals to back a charter in order to ensure a local future workforce? About two percent of kids from rural areas go to charters compared with ten percent in urban areas. I think in twenty fourteen fifteen data, there are about seven hundred and sixty nine rural charters compared to about six thousand charters at the time nationally. Now they're about 7,000. We are seeing employers get more involved in providing financial support and other assistance because they are complaining often that young people are not being prepared for jobs in their industries. A lot of people talk about the skills gap where employers can't hire people quickly enough because the labor market is relatively tight. I think the other side of that equation, though, is that in the United States today, employers don't provide as much on-the-job training as they once did, and we don't have the sort of system like a place like Germany does with a lot of apprenticeships and opportunities for people to learn on the job and the sort of earn and learn model. There's more of that than there has been, and there's certainly a lot of talk about it But I think you're seeing a lot of um, experimentation because employers feel like they can't get the right people into the seats in their companies. Well, Caroline Preston, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. You can find Caroline's story about Seminole, Oklahoma, and the charter school there on the Heckinger Report website, heckingerreport.org. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you found this podcast and why you listen. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Educate Podcast, one word. You can also send an email to contact at apmreports.org. And you can let us know what you think about this podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to those of you who wrote in about our last episode. I'm Alex Baumhart, one of the producers of this podcast. Some of you asked how you could help Jose, the student on temporary protected status who we profiled two weeks ago. Jose is trying to finish his degree, but the Trump administration could end his legal status before he gets the chance. He's also struggling to pay for his last two semesters of school because he can't get federal student aid or loans. Jose's school is accepting donations for his tuition, and we can give you the details if you email us at contact at apmreports.org. And thanks. We'll be taking a break over the holidays and we'll return with a new episode on January 14th. 
Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin produced the podcast. This episode was mixed by Michael Osborne. We partner with The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>